Good morning. Ooh. Hey, if you weren't awake, now you are. Hey, my name's Stephen. If you don't know me, I am glad that you're here. We're kicking off a brand new series today entitled Timeless, how the eternal church is greater than the shifting culture. And last week, I set the series up by the setup to these seven letters. It's written in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And in the setup to the letters and to in the series, we looked at this idea that there is an eternal God who preaches or proclaims an eternal gospel. It's what he's most about. And he does it through his eternal church. So all of those things are eternal, yet we live in a world where culture shifts. And it's not just our world, it's all of the world and all of time. See, when truth is relative, culture will always shift. But there has to be something greater than the shifting culture, and there is an eternal God preaching an eternal gospel in an eternal church. And so what we're doing this series is exploring uh, the eternal truths that Jesus spoke to his church. These are actually the final instructions that Jesus gives to his church. These are written after most of the New Testament had been written, and Jesus is having a conversation with John in the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit, and he says, tell this to my church. Now, there's seven letters, and the number seven in the book of Revelation means perfection or completion. And so what we're taking from that is that these are the final complete instructions to his church. doesn't mean we throw out all of the other instructions. It just means we don't want to miss out on these. And so the question of how does the eternal church respond to a shifting culture, we believe are locked up in these seven letters. Because the time that these were written into it, oh, culture was shifting. Culture was tumultuous. Culture was crazy, crazier than even what we live in now. And it's important to see what Jesus did say and did not say to his church. And so we're going to try to pull out one truth from each week, uh, and these will build over the course of these seven weeks. We have a vision around here as a church to be the church that Jesus came to plant. It's really, we kind of stole it, well, from the Bible. It's easier that way. Instead of creating our own vision, we said, well, Jesus, we just want to live out your vision because it's your church. You're in charge of it, not us. So we don't need our own vision. We're just going to follow yours. And we think that these seven truths will help us walk that out. At the end of it, at the end of um, last week's sermon, uh, we see that the eternal God is most about his eternal gospel through his eternal church. But then he says the priests, he uses the word priest. Uh, and what he's talking there is not just the paid professionals or if you grew up in the Catholic church, your priest. What he's talking about is the priesthood of all believers. That it is now up to us to carry out the eternal gospel through his eternal church. Said another way, it is up to us to, to stand for the truth of the gospel, to borrow a phrase, to hold the line, to, uh, to continue to proclaim the eternal truths of this scripture. How does the church respond to shifting culture? Not to shift with it, but to hold on to these eternal truths in the midst of the shift. Why? Why? Why is that so important? Because the shift... The shift, when it, when it takes away from the truth of scriptures, is not helpful, is not loving, and is not kind toward anyone. 
As I pointed out last week in Revelation 15, there will be a reaping and there will be a, a good reaping and a bad reaping. And as you read Revelation chapter 15, uh, if you have a love for Christ, all your heart can say is, I want anyone and everyone who, who, who is in my sphere of influence to avoid the bad reaping mentioned in Revelation 15. And the only way to do that is to proclaim the eternal truth of the gospel. This is why the church cannot shift. Okay, now let's look at our first story, our first letter. This is written to the church in Ephesus. Unlike a lot of the other churches that are going to be mentioned, uh, we have a lot of information about the church of Ephesus in our scripture. We see the founding of the church in Acts chapter 19. We see a letter specifically written to that church and the churches in that area in the letter of Ephesians. We know the pastor of that church, a guy by the name of Timothy, and we see letters written to him as the pastor. And so we know a lot about this particular church, and that's going to be helpful in our study this morning. As the... um, The first verse, chapter 2, verse 1, is an opening that is going to be used in all of the letters. And so I'm going to kind of hop past that and jump down to verse number 2. Revelation 2.2. Jesus apparently knows like modern leadership techniques because what he is going to do here is he's going to give you some good, then he's going to slip in a bad, and then he's going to end it with some good again, okay? So maybe Jesus is the one who invented that model. It's right here. I know your works your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them out to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Oh, if the letter just stopped there, what a beautiful letter it would be. And so the first thing that Jesus does is he commends the church in Ephesus for uh, four things here. I'm kind of summarizing them up into four things. And let me tell you, these four things are good. And these are four things that I hope are present in our church and present in your life. The first four things that he, uh, Jesus commends, the first one is this. You, you don't just hear the word, you do it. You're not just listeners, you're active. They're doing good works. James writes a letter a lot about this where people just listen to the word of God, but then they don't actually do it. Not this church, not the church in Ephesus. It hears and it responds and it does. What we would say in modern language is they're a church that uh, they go do good things in the community. They're, uh, They're active in their faith. They do the real work. They don't just insulate or hide. They're doing good things. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. They don't give up. They don't give up. They, they haven't um, um, fallen into the pressure of the shift. Uh, they haven't um, um, quit and just said, okay, we're just going to kind of hide out and, uh, and wait for Jesus to come back. No, they're, they're, they're persevering in their faith. Uh, They're continuing to do the good, no matter how bad it's gotten, no matter how bad culture has gotten, no matter um, how much the government was oppressing them, which was a lot, uh, or growing in this time, uh, they did not give up. So they do good things, and they don't give up. Two great starts in being the church that Jesus came to plant. The third thing that they do, they do not give in to evil. They don't give in to evil. And now that was easier said than done. Okay, they're in Ephesus. Ephesus is the capital of the Roman province. It is a metropolitan area. It is a center of culture. Uh, It's a pretty affluent and a largely populated area. And in the middle, maybe not the geographic middle, but like the cultural middle of Ephesus is the temple of Artemis. 
And the temple of Artemis is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. You can Google it later. It is beautiful. And so the temple was right there, right in the middle, reminding everyone in Ephesus, this is what our culture is about. This is who we are. This is what we do. We worship Artemis. Their economy, we'll see that later, revolved around the worship of Artemis. Their city was built on this. But in the midst of that, even in the midst of that, in the shadow of the great temple of Artemis, this group of people did not tolerate evil. They didn't mix Artemis worship with Christian worship. They didn't tolerate it. It's good. Lastly, it says that they did not stand for bad doctrine or false preaching. Now, the only way you could do that, by the way, is if you knew true doctrine. So they knew their Bible. And Paul had spent years with them. He wrote them a letter that's highly doctrinal, Ephesians, and they studied it and they learned it. In fact, if you read Ephesians 1 through, well, just read the whole book, all six letters, you see why it is they're pastoring and the way this church was set up, why it is that Jesus is commending these four things in them. Paul spent time with them. He mentored their pastor. He wrote this letter and they responded well. Let's recap. They did good things. They didn't give in to evil. They didn't give up and they didn't stand for bad doctrine. That's a good church. That's a great church. I would hope that those things are all true in our church. If we're gonna borrow the language of this series, we could say this, they did not shift. They didn't shift. They didn't give into the, um, the doctrinal shift. Like, yeah, this is what the scriptures say, but we also like what this says, and so let's just mix them together. They didn't give in to the cultural shift. Yeah, I know the Bible says this is sin, but uh, you know, they did not shift. And Jesus commends them for it. And we should strive to not shift. <laughs> to, to, to stand as the church in Ephesus did. But the letter's not over. Right in the middle of the letter is one heart-wrenching line. Now you have to remember, this is a letter written to a group of Christians who would have sat together and listened to it read out loud. And so they're sitting around and they're nodding their head and they're like, thank you, Jesus, for seeing how much we haven't shifted. Yeah, we appreciate that, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Right, these, these letters are in red. Like, this is Jesus writing a letter to his church. Okay, great, thank you, Jesus. Yep, thank you. And then he says this. Ah, uh, but, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. 
See, there is a cultural shift, but the church can also shift, or the Christian can also shift. One way the Christian can shift is um, given into self-righteousness, or the word we typically use around here is religion. And, and I believe how that's relevant to this is um, we can find ourselves at a time in our Christian life or in a time in our church when we shift over to the side that says, yes, Revelation 2 verses 2 and 3 is who I want to be. I want to be known for good doctrine. I want to uh, be known for doing the right things. I want to be known for not giving into evil. I want to know, be known for not giving up. And we can look in at churches or people and say, they're the ones who are doing it right. Look, they're not shifting. We can use terms like that's the faithful church. It's the righteous church. That's the non-shifting church. Now, there's another way to shift, even in the church. The other way to shift in the church is to shift to all of the other side and go, look, Jesus said that all of those things um, didn't do it, that what really did it was love. Love is what it's all about. And so the other way the church can even shift is to come over on this other side and say, see, if they would have just had love, then they would have been fine. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that all of these things are good. He's commending them for him. He is saying, do this and that and all that. That's great. He's applauding it. But then he's saying, but you have forgotten love. See, the church can even shift and go to the other side and say, it's just love. So if we tolerate evil or um, if we allow bad doctrine in, as long as we do it in the name of love, then it's okay. As, as long as we just love, as long as we just let love win, it's okay. Jesus isn't saying that either. What is he saying? He's saying the gospel is not one or the other. The gospel is this powerful convergence of both of them coming together. Not giving in, yeah. Not giving up, yeah. Not tolerating, yeah. Not giving in to bad doctrine, yeah. But the church that Jesus came to plant, the timeless church is first and foremost here rooted in love. Now, let me talk about what I think this love is and is not. In no way am I saying that we don't need to love other people. We do, of course. But I don't actually don't think that's what this is talking about. I think the love it's talking about is a love for Jesus. I think what he's saying is in the midst of all of your good works, in the midst of your not giving up, in the midst of all of those four things, you have forgotten to love me. Can you relate to this in your Christian life at all? Doing a lot of good things, persevering in your faith, not tolerating evil, knowing good doctrine, but your love for Christ, your love for Jesus, slowly dwindling away to nothing. That's what's happening in Ephesus. Modern language, we would say, you've gotten so caught up in the religious activity or the church activity of doing all of the right things and standing for truth that you've forgotten to love me in the midst of it. Yes, those four things, absolutely. But rooted in the gospel first. This is where Jesus starts his letters 
to the churches. I think we should also suspect that the, Jesus knew what he was doing when he put them in these order, in this order. And he's reminding us before we're going to get to the other six truths and we're going we're gonna to spend our time in there and we're going to dig in and we're going uh, to see what they say. But before we hop back into that, and I think before Jesus wanted everyone to study these letters, he wanted to remind the church to first be rooted just in a deep love for him, a deep love for Jesus. And then he tells us how to, to get it back if it's been lost. The, his words exactly were this, you abandoned the love you had at first. Now, here's what's cool about the letter to the church in Ephesians. We can know about the love that they had at first because the founding of the church is actually written into the scriptures. And so if you go into Acts chapter 19, you see the early time in the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus, uh, people had started to get saved, but they were getting saved under the um, Old Testament baptism of John. And so they're experiencing this transformation, uh, like a repentance, a baptism of repentance. But then Paul shows up and he goes, man, what do you guys think about the Holy Spirit? And they're like, who's that? Right? Like some modern churches. Okay. Just kidding. Okay. Now, who, who, who is he? Who's that? And Paul goes, oh, I got to tell you about this. And then what Paul does is he tells them about the gospel, the new covenant, the new covenant. And they, they experience the, the new covenant. And, and as they experience the new covenant, guess what? The Holy Spirit just falls on the church. And in verse six, it says this. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so they just lay out the gospel and, and the, the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does when the gospel is proclaimed. He, he just falls. And in this particular case, they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And, uh, and others of us have had moments when the Holy Spirit falls and it just brought us to our knees. And, and that's not really the point. The point is that, that that the Holy Spirit fell and filled them. And so the love that they had at first was, was first and, and foremost, it was just like a, a filling of the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing, the second thing that it was, you get down to verse 18, right? And by the way, Paul spent like two years. He spent two years there preaching to them and, and teaching them about the gospel. But then you get down to verse 18 and it says, also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. The very next thing that happened is, is uh, or not the next thing, but 12 verses later, they're just confessing sin. They're just confessing sin. It, it, it's just, it's hitting them. And they're like, man, this is, this is in my life and this shouldn't be in my life. And so um, I just don't want anything to do with it. And so they just start confessing. And no one tells them to confess. No one says like, hey, we need to have like a confession party or something like that. Like just because the Holy Spirit is in them and the gospel is hitting them, they're just confessing sin because they hate it. Then it goes to the next verse. It says, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So apparently somebody said, man, I don't, this book, I got this book when I was six because that's what you get when you're in Ephesus. You get a, a book about witchcraft, right? And worshiping Artemis. And, and so somebody had their book and they're like, I don't even know why I need this book anymore, right? This, this witchcraft book. And so they just threw it into the fire. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They, they confessed sin and they changed their behavior. And then 
they went against culture. They, they didn't shift with culture, like, like Artemis worship and Jesus worship. They, they took what culture said, this is, the pit, the, they, this is it, and they just they threw it in the fire. They said, we're just going to burn it. Well, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't even want it to exist anymore. This is the love that they had at first. So what happened? What happened to this vibrant, alive church? What happened to what happened to you in your vibrant, alive faith? Somewhere, at some point, it just grew stale. And it just grew cold. And they didn't stop doing the right things. Just whatever was here, here, failed to exist. It teaches us something, by the way, that just being the right church with the wrong motives is no better or worse than being the doing the wrong things with the right motives. See, we can err on either side. We can, we can say, well, we do the right things, but Jesus is looking in, he's saying, yeah, but you're doing it with the wrong motives. You, you have forgotten that you love me. But it's easy for us on a religious side to say, okay, but that's okay, because at least you're doing the right things. That's no more the church that Jesus came to plant than the church that's doing the wrong things with the right motive. The church that Jesus came to plant, the Christian that, 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 that we are compelled to be is both. It's both. So I think Jesus gives us some of the most practical but heart-changing encouragement in these next few verses. He looks at him and he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Now, the way I read it there seems a little, like, ominous. I actually don't think it has to be read that way. I think maybe when they were sitting around and they were reading the letter uh, and they get to that point in the church where Jesus is clapping them on the back and he's saying, you did all these good things and great job here and great job there. Ah, but I have this against you. You have abandoned your love that you had at first that the room probably got silent. Jesus is correcting them. And then the writer or the reader, whoever it was, goes, remember where you have fallen. Said another way, remember where all of this began? Don't you remember? I wonder if there's an older guy in the crowd or an older woman in the crowd and they hear the line, you've abandoned your love that you had at first. And then they hear the line, remember where this all began. And when they heard the remember where this all began, when they heard that, somebody stood up and said, man, I remember I was there. And they looked across the room and they're like, Jimmy, you were there too. Jason, you were there. John, you were there. Remember at the beginning when, when Paul showed up and we didn't know who the Holy Spirit was and he taught us the Holy Spirit and, and, and remember how we all felt? 
You, you remember like what it did in our hearts? Remember how much it moved us? Oh, and, and don't you remember that, that like right after that happened, like the Holy Spirit filled us and there was this joy. And maybe he looks and he's like, James, you spoke in tongues. Dude, I haven't heard you speak in tongues in like 20 years. Don't you remember? And they started remembering. And somebody else kept talking. They go, oh, I remember, I remember. Remember then we were having that bonfire and we're outside and we're having the bonfire. And then, and then you, it was you, you did it first. You stood up and we were like, where's he going? And you walked home and then you came book and you had that witchcraft book. And we're like, what are you doing with your Artemis book, man? And then you threw it into the fire. Like you threw it in the fire and we were all like, whoa, what are you doing? And then everybody just like, well, I'm going to do it too. And then everybody ran home, got their books, came back, and we were all just throwing them in the fire. That bonfire went all night. Remember, we were praying and we were talking about how good Jesus was. And then who was it? It was, oh, it was you. Then you went home and you got your Artemis statue. Because everybody has an Artemis statue. I mean, this is Ephesus. We all get Artemis statues. Everyone has an Artemis. You have like 12 Artemis statues, right? That's like the Christmas tree, not now, right? You have 12 of them. You went home and you got all of your Artemis statues, which are made out of really expensive jewels and metals. And you brought them. And then we're all sitting around like, what are you doing with little Artemis? And then you threw that in the fire. And actually, if you read Acts chapter 19, you're going to see that on that particular night, they threw about $6 million worth of modern money into the fire. Six million bucks. They just burned it. I said, don't you remember that? And at first we were all like, I don't even know if we can do this because like this is Artemis and there's the temple and you're just taking it and you're throwing it into the fire. And we were all scared that we were going to get cursed by Artemis or something like that. But then Paul reminded us that Jesus is greater. I said, we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to follow these things and serve these things and worship these things and, and stay with all of these old things that the world has given us because, because we found the gospel and all of those things that we used to care about. Like, we don't even care about them anymore. Don't you, don't you remember that? And there's probably in the back of the room somebody who is younger and goes, oh, so that's why we throw our statues in the fire once a year at youth group. Isn't that how it works? Eventually, we just keep doing things because we did things, and we get to the point where we do the right things, and we don't give up, and we don't tolerate evil, and we don't give in to bad doctrine. But somewhere in it, we lost our love for Jesus. We just forgot about Jesus in it. And so I'm reading the story this week, asking myself the question, do I, do I remember? Like, do I remember? Do I remember? And I do, talking about myself now. Like, I remember being a 22, 23-year-old who wanted to do all of the right things and wanted to not tolerate evil and wanted to not shift with culture and, and saw my friends who I thought were shifters and, and, and they're doing this, but I wasn't. And, and then I would read scripture and I'd say, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and so I tried to hold on to all of it. And then 
One day I was reading a letter, a letter written to the Ephesians. I got to verse 8 of chapter 2 in that letter written to the Ephesians. And it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. And my heart first didn't want to believe it because I had built an entire identity around the reason I'm okay and those people aren't is because I did things better than they did. And so I just kept reading the verse. This was actually over like weeks and months and finally it just hit me. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God that all of the identity I had built around how I had saved myself because of all of the good things that I was doing meant nothing that Jesus did and finished the work for me. And in that moment, grace wrecked me in a way it never had before. I remember, I remember that moment. And I remember just looking up at God and saying, Okay, what do you want from me then? Like, whatever you want, I'm just going to give because, because I couldn't save myself. You didn't save yourself. Like, you're, you're not a Christian because of what you did. You are because of what Jesus did for you. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, right? It's a gift, not a reward. A gift is something you get that you deserve, or a reward is something that you get that you earned. A gift is something that you get because of the graciousness of the giver. And salvation is a gift, and it just hit me. And I thought, well, then what, what do you want me to do? Like, you gave me this thing, this salvation. I'm all yours now. So I, I remember. What about you? Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like when grace first exploded in your heart? Do you remember what it was like when, when, when you were filled with the Holy Spirit, when you, when you just hated your sin or, or any like glimpse of sin in your heart, when it would like bring you to uh, either literal or like, or, or, or like uh, uh, tears or, or just make your heart cringe because you just hated sin so much or, or you saw all of the things that the world was worshiping and so caught up in and you were like, man, this means so little to me. Like I, like I, I need it so little, I could just throw it in a fire because it means nothing to me. Like, 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 like the whole world could be taken, but as long as I have, as long as I have Jesus, like you're just so in love with Jesus. Like, and it, and it wasn't about all the things that you did, even though you did things and you could do things and you always did things because like, like it hit you and you would do, but, but it wasn't even about that. It was just, you were just so in love with Jesus that everything just flowed over. You remember? So Jesus looks at this church and he goes, hold on, guys, 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 you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. I love all of these things that you're doing, but I just need you to take a moment and remember when you fell in love with me. Because we can forget. And he says, remember. And then he says, after that, you got to repent. You got to Repent. It's like he's actually just reminding them of, remember at the beginning when 
when grace hit you, and then what'd you do? You repented. And now you're a Christian, and so Jesus is like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell you, this is the best way to handle it. Remember, and then just repent. So I don't know if there's a better thing we can do, guys, than just take a second that we're gonna take here in a moment and just repent. Repent. Repent because maybe you don't love them like you once did. Repent because maybe, maybe all of column one there, those four things, maybe those are all lined up perfectly. But what he's teaching here is that's not it. It's not just doing all of those things perfectly. Yes, do them. But that's not what this is about. Where this starts, where this always has to start is like grace coming in, imploding in your heart and you just saying, man, I love you, Jesus. Like, like I just love you. And yeah, yeah, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll stand for whatever you ask me to stand for. I'll throw into the fire whatever you want me to throw in the fire because Jesus, I felt it and nothing else compares to it. Like, I just love you, Jesus. And he says, just repent. Just repent of where you've loved some things more. Maybe you love the good deeds more. Maybe you love the things of the world more and you can never throw them into the fire. I don't know. Just repent. <laughs> Remember your first love. It was that first love that probably got you here today. That first love that moved you through those early years of your faith. The first love that got slowly snuffed out by the work and the this and the that and all of it. So what I want you to do during this next moment while Lindsay's playing, is just remember and repent. Whatever God would call that for you to do in that. And then he says, after that, you'll return to the works that you once did. Of course you will. Of course you will. And the way Jesus ends this is kind of mind-blowing because it says, hey, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to have to remove my lampstand. In other words, he's like, I'm going to have to shut this whole thing down. Like he looks into a church, get this, he looks into a church that is, that is standing for truth, that is not giving into bad doctrine, that isn't shifting 
that's doing good works and that is persevering and not giving up. He looks into that church and he says, yeah, if you don't repent, I'm just going to have to shut this thing down. And I want to talk about the six next truths that come over the next six weeks. But if we're going to follow those six truths well, we have to be in this one first, rooted in the love of Jesus, just a love for Jesus. Like, I just, I just love you, Jesus. Take some time here on your own. Remember and repent. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.